Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly in this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, not too long ago, we had the man, the myth, and the legend, one of my favorite guests of all times, as you guys know, because I have him on as often as I can. We had the man Pete West on former TO of the CanCon run for years that made that the flagship event in Australia for Bolt Action. And Pete came on to tell us about WinterCon. Now, WinterCon, he came to tell us about it a couple months ago, and now it's run. So joining me today is Pete to talk about how his event went. Pete, welcome back to the show, brother. It's always good to have you. It's always good to be here, Brad, if only for those introductions. Thank you very much. (laughs) Let's be honest, Pete. I've run a lot of events over the years, and I would like to think that I'm a competent TO. You are the top-tier TO as far as I'm concerned. You always know. You think two steps ahead. You're like the the grandmaster chess superstar who thinks (laughs) two to three steps ahead of players breaking things or things not working at your event you've run the big show many times and there's never a problem and if there is you're doing a very good job of hiding it so <laughs> the fact that you quote unquote retired and came back out of retirement to run wintercon this year is really exciting i, I have a thousand questions about wintercon but i want to talk about another event first but before we do that pete I have to say rest in peace because I understand it's a sad, sad day in the West household because your 3D printer may have uh, gone to a a better place. Yes, it's gone to that great print farm in the sky, unfortunately, after diligently printing off many, many, many Volt vehicles for Volt Action. um, It's finally given up the ghost. So uh, in between our chats, I'm scrolling the internet looking for its replacement. Man, I can't even imagine. Now, the last time I looked, and albeit it's been a while, 3D printers were still, in my opinion, which is funny given how much money I sink into podcasting gear, prohibitively expensive. However, you are telling me that, I mean, the technology really is advancing. And so things are getting cheaper. Your build plate's getting bigger. The quality of the printer's getting better. And yet, the price for these things is going down. Yeah, it's really the technology's going ahead in leaps and bounds. So my last printer um, I had for 18 months. And look, I expect to get about 18 months, two years out of a printer. Um, you know, I recognize they're made in China to the lowest possible standard. Um, and if you just look at the progression of my last couple of printers, I started with a, a photon, which I think was like, not even sure, 1K, a very small build plate. Um, my printer that's just deceased is a Mono X, which is a 4K printer with quite a large build plate. And I picked that up for a bit over $1,000, um, as I say, about 18 months, two years ago. And um, just scrolling through the internet today, looking for replacements. I'm looking at a, 
about $800 Australian for something of similar quality. And we're talking like 500 in the US. So it's moving, uh, uh, sorry, not only of similar quality in terms of the build plate size, but the actual printer itself, the printer itself is now 8K. So, you know, moving ahead in leaps and bounds. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the difference between a 4K and an 8K is, but simply by doubling the number, it sounds impressive. I'm not entirely sure either, I must be honest. I'm not, I don't know that I need an 8K printer, but and I could probably get away with another 4K printer. But, you know, I'm one of those people who like to uh, <laughs> upgrade uh, on a regular basis for no good reason. Um, I'm... Having a look at the printers, uh, the prints and the videos and stuff, I mean, I think 8K, you're getting up pretty much to even better quality than um, a, a, a standard mini. Um, the yeah. detail is just so high. Now, I do want to talk to you about that, and but I know that that is in our notes for later in this episode. So we'll talk a little bit about what this means for maybe for games and possibly bolt action in particular soon. Uh, but while you're talking about advancing things technologically, I kind of want to talk about something that is kind of big for the show. And I kind of just mentioned it a minute ago. Uh, I've recently been on vacation. Again, I apologize for my audio quality in the last episode where our good buddy Al was over from Scotland and we were talking about the armies of the Soviet Union. I was playing with new technology. I, I thought my quality would have been better. I was wrong. So again, I apologize. It sounded like Al was the host and I was the guest with a dodgy microphone. That won't happen again. However, using that technology, and now that I'm back in Melbourne with the new rig, I'm really happy with how things are looking and sounding. And if you're thinking, why did he just say looking for an audio podcast? For those who have been paying attention to my Facebook feed for a while, you'll know that I tried to take Cast Dice to a YouTube format of two talking heads, three talking heads with pictures and videos, et cetera, et cetera, a couple of years ago. And I just couldn't get the technology to work in a way that wouldn't sacrifice the audio show because I always wanted to keep the podcast going as it has always been. But I wanted to have a video component as well. And as of today, that dream is realized. This is the very first ever episode of Cast Ice that is being recorded as both a video and an audio. Now, I'm not going to put out the video for this particular episode only because we're still figuring out the lighting and the settings on the cameras. And Pete is very generously being, as always, the wonderful guinea pig um, when I'm trying out new technology. But hopefully starting next week, Cast Dice will fully jump to both audio and video, which means that you can find this show coming soon on YouTube. Uh, just Cast Dice, if you go there, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. The channel already exists. There are a bunch of videos of me talking about 3D-printed G.I. Joe vehicles on there at the moment. However, we will have some really exciting things happening on the channel shortly most of which will be exactly what you're listening to now, except with a video component. Now, I am really cognizant, though. I've had a lot of people ask, Brad, are you still going to do the audio show? Yes. The audio show is my primary focus. I just want to try and reach a new audience by putting it on video. So that will be what's happening. Um, however, the audio quality, I'm a sound guy. I've, I've been a sound guy for almost 
well, over 30 years, I want the audio to be what is important. So the podcast will continue to go out as a podcast on all your favorite podcatchers. Whatever you're listening to this now, you'll be able to listen to it next week, the week after, the week after. The show will continue in that vein. But it was really important that if I made the jump, that the audio quality wouldn't suffer because, as I said, this is a podcast. It's not a YouTube channel per se. And as we move forward and the two become more intermeshed, I never wanted to satisfy or sacrifice the quality, I suppose. Anyway, I thought that was really exciting. I posted that on Facebook earlier this week, and a lot of people were really excited about it. Yes, the show is coming to you. You will be able to see my face. And yes, that may get rid of some of the mystery. Uh, I, I don't know how mysterious I've been all along, but a couple of you seem to think that an American living in Australia uh, talking about uh, a British World War II game was interesting stuff. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's a great leap forward in technology, Brad. It's lo lovely to be talking to you face-to-face, -face, so to speak. It is. Now, I have to say that it is lovely to see your face, Pete. And I know that makes for terrible audio. Oh, that is one other thing I want to say. As we move forward, I know that I listen to YouTube channels that put out their audio as podcasts. And I personally hate it when they're constantly talking about pictures that they're looking at or things that they're seeing on screen. I promise we will not be doing that on this show. Again, I will be running this show just as I always have been as uh, an audio show. You will just be able to see my face and the faces of my guests. And I will be putting up, for example, if we talk about army lists, I'll be able to put the army list up. If we're talking about particular rules, I'll be able to put those rules up on the screen so you can follow along. Uh, if we're talking about people's beautifully painted armies, I'll be able to scroll through a photo album, but I won't be saying, look at the beautiful pink on this, you know, blah, 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 or look at that camouflage because that makes for terrible radio. And I was a DJ before I was a VJ. Anyway, moving on. I also have another really exciting bit of news for Melbourne bolt action players in particular. And that is, I know that it has been a slow year for bolt action in Melbourne. We did have the very successful Easter front event at the Conquest convention earlier this year over Easter, obviously, hence the name, where Lee Avery and I TO'd that event. And we will be back later this year with Operation Bear. At the time of Easter Front and shortly thereafter, we put out some promotional pictures and we answered some questions for the people who asked. And we said that we would be doing a bolt action event in September and it would be less than a thousand points. And we gave some other details. Well, the the hunt for a suitable venue for Melbourne's largest bolt action event has actually been very problematic. Um, a lot of our big stores closed during Melbourne's many lockdowns during 2020 and 2021. And a lot of the venues that exist now just aren't either big enough or are close enough to the city. Now, we think we have found a solution for that, and we are hoping to have that nailed down in the next week or two. And you will see Operation Bear later this year. We are looking at possibly late October, early November for that event. Honestly, at this point, probably November. However, we did promise a September event. So you are going to get one. 
and we are going to have the less than 1,000 point bolt action one day event that we promised. Jump to action is going to be happening on September 25th at a brand new venue for me anyway, but one that has been around for a couple years. Um, it is fairly far out from the city. It is in Ringwood, but it is a venue called Games Portal. And several of my friends who run tournaments for other game systems swear by them. Um, I can't wait to, to work in partnership with these guys. They've been fantastic answering all my questions. And the venue looks fantastic. I'm really excited. Um, this is an event that will also be sponsored by Warlord Games and by War and Peace Games. But it is a 911-point one-day bolt-action event. We will be accepting reinforced platoon lists. We will be accepting theater selector lists. But I would like to remind players that this is a beginner-friendly event. We have a lot of new players coming up from different parts of Melbourne who are just painting their first army or have finished painting their first army and have been playing for a little while but haven't necessarily gotten into all the event play. So this is an event that really does call out to those individuals, and we would like them to come and join us. Of course, we also want more experienced players. You know, the, the Melbourne community has always been a rich one, and we encourage everyone to come out and play some games. We're really excited about this. And again, September 25th, it's the day after grand final day. It is that games portal in Ringwood. If you would like information about this, you can go to the Cast Dice Facebook page. I will be posting how to register and all the nitty gritty for the event on my Facebook page. While Operation Bear will be later this year, Bear is the big event. We almost called this event, uh, Jump to Action, Operation Cub, as sort of the baby bear event. It is the buildup. So Bear will be a thousand points-ish. It will be a little bit more than that. Jump to action will be 911 points. So it gives people an opportunity to build up to their bear list. Again, we are really excited to be announcing this. So you will be getting two more high quality bolt action events in Melbourne before the end of this calendar year. And for those who are trying to stick it in the calendar, it is the week between Sudlich in uh, Tasmania and Moab in Sydney. I hate to put something so close to those other events, but due to magic launches, we just couldn't get any other date. But you can bring your Sudlich event uh, army and maybe tweak the points a little bit. And again, the points are very similar to those that are being used at Moab. Um, so if you want to take your bolt action Korea lists, look, I'm sure we could probably work something out. But there are no armored platoons, no tank lists are going to be allowed at jump to action. Anyway, I'm sorry. I've been rambling on Pete. I'm so excited. Uh, am I missing anything? My good man. No, I think that's enough to get wet everyone's appetite. I uh, only wish I could go. So I will have to look at the calendar and see what I can get away with, but I think I'm kind of committed to Moab. So it might be a bit hard. Yeah, I hear that, but uh, I will be, I will send you the bear information the second I have it, my good man. Um, and one thing to keep in mind, jump to action is a 20 player cap. It is a 20 player cap. So it is first come first serve. Please buy your tickets early. So you're guaranteed a spot. 
Uh, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you didn't have, you know, tons of players at Easter front. Yes, it was Easter. It was also a two day event. We are expecting uh, jump to action to sell out. I would prefer to have an 18 player roster for this event and we'll see what happens. Um, this is also going to be a fun event. I will be playing if there is a odd number of players just to put people's minds at ease though. If I am playing in this event, um, it, because it is such a casual event, uh, I'm not overly fussed about, um, you know, I'm not going to be taking anything head kicking in and I will be ineligible to win anything. Now, because it is a smaller event, we will have fewer prizes only because all of my fundraising efforts will be going to Operation Bear a little bit later. However, we will have some great prizes for Jump to Action. Um, Games Portal is helping us out with a lot of certificates. Um, again, War and Peace and Warlord are coming to the table as well. Uh, and I will be supporting a few things from uh, the Warlord Games official podcast. We will be supplying some prizes there. Just maybe it may not be as big a prize pool as you might see at Bear later this year, but that isn't really the purpose of this event. This event is sort of cheap and cheerful. Come show up and play some games. It's 20 bucks. It's going to be a good time. You get a, three guaranteed games. It's going to be, you know, a lot of fun. Anyway, Pete. I've been waffling about my show and my uh, event long enough. Let's turn around and talk about a much bigger deal, WinterCon. Now, WinterCon happened just last weekend. I mean, it, it is fresh in your mind. Talk to us about the day, how many players, the venue, because the pictures looked amazing, although... It, uh, please excuse me if I'm talking out of line here, Pete, but the the name WinterCon did look a little apt. Uh, yes, I, I don't know about it being a bigger and better event, but it certainly was a colder event. Um, it's pretty cold down here in Canberra at the moment, and um, it takes a while for those heaters in that big barn-like hall to heat up. So, uh, as usual... Um, with most CGS conventions that uh, was held at Epic in Canberra. Um, and if you haven't been, it's basically just a very large shed. Um, and so it takes a fair while for those big heaters to kick in. So uh, I think a couple of players, particularly those from coastal regions and up north, found it a bit brutal um, for the first hour or so of each day. But look, we got through it. Everyone uh, rugged up and um, there was uh, plenty of uh, coffee going around. So I think uh, everyone made the best of the situation. Yeah, exactly. Now, you did have an odd number of players. I saw you had 23 players. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We had um, 24 people register, but unfortunately, um, someone had to drop out. So on the day, we had uh, 23 people. Um so I started out playing, so I brought a Gumby army along and I started out playing and then I um, handed it off to my son who played the last couple of games. So uh, it was his first bolt action event um, and he seemed to enjoy himself. So that worked out quite well. That's awesome, man, to be able to, to hand over the, the, the rain, so to speak, and say, hey, do, do us right. Yes, West that's family right. <laughs> uh, needs representation here. Let's do this. He had a fair bit of it again. I was like, he did quite well, although the list was probably a little more tuned than I had uh, intended, um, uh, just because I'd, I'd 
gone with a small dice list, um, but I had a couple of good units in there. And the the lists, as we'll get into talking about, were a bit more variable and interesting than I had perhaps expected going into this uh, event. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the spread, because there seems to be a really good spread of armies that you had at this event. Yeah, no, I was really lucky. We had um, a really great spread. So five German, five Russian, four Brit, four US, two Aussies, one Belgian, one Romanian, one Italian. So as you can see, no one was really um, overrepresented and um, we got a lot of um, smaller minor nations in as well. That's right. Although I do notice a distinct lack of Japanese players. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just the Wintercon thing. No one was feeling the Japanese. Mm, I hear that. I, I should have brought my great coat Japanese, but you know, that, that would be my Japanese winter army. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, you did have a nice mix of nations. I have spoken to you, so I do know that there was also a nice spread of dice count armies, and there were also some big tanks. Yeah, I mean, color me surprised. I was I was really surprised when the list started rolling in um, that we had. I don't know whether it was because of the way I promoted the event or just people trying out different things that I guess a sort of lower key event. But we had um, three of the Brit lists had Churchills in them. Uh, one, of, yeah, I know that was my reaction too. Um, although I think there was uh, they they all knew each other. And I think there might have been a bit of collusion going on. Um, <laughs> There was a panther, um, and we had one list with uh, four Hannah mags in it. So, um, yeah, and but just overall, the dice count was not very high. Um, a lot of lists were around that um, ten to thirteen um, mark. Very few high count lists, and I, I don't think we had anyone over fifteen. Oh wow! And that was given we did. It was a thousand and eleven points. So you know there yeah. were a couple of extra points there as well. Yeah, I was going to say, because, I mean, having just literally spoken to Alistair last episode and talking about his sweet spot, he was saying that his sweet spot for a thousand points was between 14 and 16 dice. So it's interesting that with this, we're talking about something that, yeah, was lower. I mean, I suppose you did have some 14s. Yeah, um, but also Alistair said he likes uh, to play six games in two days, so he's clearly mad. Um, <laughs> well, yes. Yes. Not arguing with that at all. Al, love you. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the best allied army because it sounded interesting. Again, Soviets. So talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, it really fell in that um, zone I was talking about. So it was 13 dice, which is small for a Soviet list, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it was only one platoon, two regular squads, two vet squads, although they were scouts and engineer, uh, two ATRs, so no bomb dogs, um, no armored cars, a ZIS-3 um, cannon, and an SU-76I. So mm -hmm. it was... Not what you would, it's not the most finely tuned Soviet list, particularly coming off the back of your last podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right. <clears throat> we may have gone a little, a little meta on that one, but the SU 76I is a solid tank. I love it. It's basically the armored version of a ZIS 3. 
and it's enclosed. So you're able to have that variability with the defense. So this list had basically two ZIS threes in it with some scouts and engineers. So you definitely some cool tools in there. But as you say, it definitely doesn't sound over the top either. No, I mean, I like the SU76i, but it suffers from the fact that it only throws one dice, essentially. It's got one mm-hmm. gun, no, no coax, no nothing else, no um, pintle. So you're relying on that one gun to hit. And, you know, we all know how bolt, bolt action works. <laughs> bolt action certainly happens. And when you're rolling one dice, ooh, it seems to happen more often. Speaking of vehicles that have one big dice, Let's talk about the German player because, God, I love an open-top German vehicle with a heavy howitzer. <laughs> yeah, so I gave three awards on the day for players. Um, so there was Best Allied, which was the Russian list we just talked about, Best Axis. And so the German list was only 10 dice. Um, but uh, within that 10 dice, he had a grill and a Puma. So you've got your mm-hmm. AT covered. You know your medium AT on the Puma, and you've got an, a really heavy anti-infantry punch with the grill. Um, so, for those of you who don't spend all nights reading bolt-action books, that's a open-top uh, German self-propelled uh, howitzer, heavy mm-hmm. howitzer. So, seven-plus armor, but you're throwing a heavy howitzer. So, when it connects, it really connects. I had the DAC Bison which is essentially, rules-wise, the grill. Um, and I used it as a grill in my DAC army for years. And yeah, people are like, ah, it's open top. It's not a big deal. And then you hit them with that heavy howitzer once. And then all of a sudden, every gun in the army points at it. You're like, well, I guess this is the time that all my horches are running at you. But yeah, so so much fun. I do very much miss having... You know, a lightly armored, open-topped, heavy howitzer tank in my in any of my armies. I'm gonna have to do something yeah. about that. I think what people underestimate about that particular vehicle is the fact that the heavy howitzer gives it such a reach; it doesn't have to get up close, so you have mm-hmm. less opportunity to put those pins on it. So you've got to be have something with a bit of range to reach out and destroy it. You just can't depend on putting pins on it to knock it out. Absolutely, and uh, just a public service announcement for those of you who are interested in a grill slash bison. The bison is actually a much lower profile than the regular grill. And so if you park that puppy behind a wall, oh yeah, you can shoot over it. And yeah, you get heavy cover. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the minor powers because music to my ears, it's the Italians. It was the Italians. They, the Italians and the Belgians were actually neck and neck, but the Italians took it out in the last game uh, by one point. So the Italian list, once again, low dice, 12 dice. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, the player took a couple of units from the New Italy book. So the uh, apologize in advance that the Gastiori Destruction Group. Um, mm-hmm. So he had two squads of those, one with flamethrower and one with light mortar because I only allowed one flamethrower. Okay. Um, he took an MMG team. Um, yes. And, <laughs> and a Sovereignty 7518, so that's uh, enclosed with the dual gun. And mm-hmm. um, artillery was just a braider, 20 mil, so light auto. Um, and he had some armored transport in there as well, so the Fiat 508. Brilliant. Oh, that's awesome. That that sounds like so, so much fun. Um, what was he using for his regular infantry? Was it regular Italian squads or... 
was he going with something maybe a little more veteran and specialized? Uh, no, uh, he was just, as I say, the two Gastiori destruction squads, and then I believe he had um, two squads of uh, one inexperienced and one regular, just straight Italian infantry. There you go. There you go. Yeah, sorry. I knew he had the uh, the Destructiore, whatever, the combat engineers. Um, but yes. those guys are notable because in events that don't limit you to one flamethrower, they are the only engineer squad in the game that allows you to take two flamethrowers. Ah, ah, ah. So, yeah. The fact that I saw, because I didn't see the notes about what they were armed with. So when you sent me the list and I looked two of them I, I swear you said you couldn't take four flamethrowers in this event Pete. you know me i kill everyone's fun yeah exactly well <laughs> not my fun uh i love the uh the the cut of your jib sir uh well let's let's move on and let's talk about best painted because you know sometimes when you go to these events and pete i know you've run events like this where you look at the field and you have a very clear winner of Best Painted. It, it has happened many, many times in many game systems, but it seems to happen a lot in bolt action. This event, though, it was a lot closer, wasn't it? Yeah, no. Uh, with voting for Best Painted, I always do it um, via um, player vote. So everyone sets out their army, has a look, has a vote. Um, and... Look, really good quality painting on all of the armies, um, even from some of the new players. Uh, some people who literally playing their first game were still bringing nicely painted armies. Um, so it was tough voting, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, there are actually two armies um, who got exactly the same number of votes. So one was an Aussie army, which was done for the jungle, Papua New Guinea, really great Um not only were the figures well painted, but the basing was just uh, uh, out of the world, out of this world. Done a really nice. great job getting that whole jungle theme done. Um, and the other army was some UK commandos. And it was really, I think, the detail of that army that made people go, wow, like, you know, the detail they put into painting the uniforms and the faces and the imp patches and that sort of thing. It just really, really popped. That's awesome, man. Oh, those both sound fantastic. You got to love a good base on a jungle army, though, right? Because it really does allow the player or the painter to, 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 to get crazy, right? Because there's so many different things that you would see in the jungle as far as plants and fauna that it really does allow you to spread your wings a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, and um, that you know, particularly when they're blended well together, the figure and the base, so they literally do look like a camouflaged guy that you can't see <laughs> in the jungle, just standing on a base on a table. That's pretty out, pretty amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Hannah Swag is of course the other big of uh, award at these things that we always use. I understand that someone took uh, a list that was a little on the fun and fluffy side. Yeah, um, four Hanno bags. Uh, could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> right? Uh, but look, it was really great. I don't, don't know how many listeners have been around long enough to know the origins of the Hanno Swag Award, but um, comes to us via the US and um, the old Bolt Action version one crew. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really, really 
initially based on the fact the name comes from the fact that no one ever brought Hannah Mags to an event. Um, it was so rare that it deserved an award because they were considered mm-hmm. so bad. Um, I don't think a lot has actually changed since then, to be brutally honest. Although, no. <laughs> Uh, um, Brian, <laughs> yeah, Brian showed us at CanCon one year how it could be done by bringing a uh, list of transports, uh, armored transports. But um, look, it was really great to see four Hannah Mags in an army. I will, as you guessed, they did not win. They did not come close to winning. But it was great to see four Hannah Swags, and it was great for Hannah Mags, and it was great to bring the Hannah Swag award back to its origin and give that award mm-hmm. to a, a list with Hannah Mags in it. That's right, man. Well, I get the sneaking suspicion that uh, half tracks and armored uh, transports will be seeing a lot more table time in Australia in a couple of months, uh, given the rules changes that are rumored to be coming in this year's CanCon player pack. Um, Tristan and Hari have uh, implemented five big changes uh, about to the rules and to the way they work and the way that you can list with bolt action this year that uh, for this year's CanCon, And when I say this year, of course, I mean, 2023, we always talk about it being the next one. Uh, and we will be talking about that on a future episode of cast dice because it does actually significantly change the way you list for the game. Uh, and one of those big changes has to do with, armored transports now i will wait for them to publish the actual player pack before i start talking about things in depth but fear not we will be talking about how you can prepare for cancon this year i do have uh, a couple of folks lined up who are as keen as i am to do some crazy listing and to see uh what sort of themey and maybe not so themey uh lists that you can put together but it is fantastic to see that many Hanomags in a regular event using regular bolt action rules. That's awesome. Yeah. But just I get what you're saying about uh, CanCon. I may have broken my printer printing off um, some armored transports for a, a secret project that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. I may have uh, created a meme that I keep sitting on uh, and waiting for the player pack day to drop that it's... Uh, Buzz Lightyear going, universal carriers everywhere. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think I'll be sharing that one that day. Anyway, on that note, uh, let's move on to one of my favorite parts of any event, and that is the scenarios. Now, this was a five scenario event. What did you play, and did you think they worked? Yep. So five scenarios. We did sectors. Punch through, point defense, supply drop, and meeting engagement. And um, for those of you who may remember from this podcast, punch through and supply drop are uh, the two uh, bolt action alliance, new bolt action alliance scenarios that are currently under development. Um, mm-hmm. And we ran through both of those, and I must say, both played it very well um, and uh, got nothing but positive feedback on the day from the players. Um, I think the the main thing people are looking for and the, the nature of the feedback I got was, so let me go back one step. Interestingly, we played, as I said, we played punch through, point defense and supply drop. So between the two BAA scenarios, you had point defense, which is one of the traditional bolt action book scenarios. Mm-hmm. 
which is um, a very static um, objective-based scenario, if I could put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so you line up the scenarios on the back of the defending player's line and the player, the attacking player attacks and tries to take them. Um, the feedback I got, and particularly in between that point defence game and the supply drop game, was that um, people much preferred the new BAA scenarios because they're dynamic. And in that, they forced players to move, not to... Mm not to sit at the back and defend a set of um, uh, objectives or to wait until the last minute to try and grab an objective to just get a certain game result. The dynamic nature of the way the points were created in um, point defense, uh, sorry, in uh, punch through and supply drop meant people were moving from turn one and didn't stop moving. And um, players really like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to hear that they liked that because that is, I mean, as the guy who wrote those missions, um, I tried to create missions that were fair and fun. Um, that was my primary consideration when designing them. But also I try to make missions that force people to interact with the board and not just hide out. Even our version of meeting uh, engagement forces people or doesn't force people rewards people to get across the board into their opponent's deployment zone while simultaneously trying to kill them off the board. So it isn't just hiding behind hills, popping out, you know, trying to kill the small teams and then jumping back and hiding again. Uh, I, that I've played enough tournaments over the years of different game systems that I just find that kind of play really boring. And so I've tried to create those missions that reward players for going out and doing things. And I'm glad to hear that that was what people got out of it because I'm not going to say that what I write is always perfect. It's not. But I am happy that people were happy with those. So again, thank you very much, Pete, for running those because we will have the finalized version of the pack later this year. But we don't want to put anything out that isn't properly playtested and running it at one of your events is always the best way to play test. So again, thank you. No problem. Had uh, 12 games go through it and both scenarios. And as I say, we didn't encounter a single problem. Um, I I had sent them out beforehand and I actually had zero questions on the day. And um, we thought we didn't even encounter the uh, objective going off the table problem because of dice rolls. So everyone's mm -hmm. objective stayed on the table. So uh, well, uh, kudos to you, Brad. They worked well. Thanks, man. Well, that th statistically, um, that objective going off the table problem for um, supply drop is a very rare occurrence. If you look at the probability on the dice, it should almost guaranteed not happen. Uh, and I've yet to see anyone have it happen. However, bolt action happens. And I'm sure if I don't put that sentence in about if it goes off the table, re-rolling the dice... Um, Sure as the day is long, it's going to happen to a lot of people at once, and I'm going to answer the questions about it. Anyway, let's talk about prizes. Uh, so I took a bit of a different route this time around for prizes and basically uh, didn't do prizes. Um, so what I did do was I had a trophy for all of the prizes that I mentioned, um, and uh, very generously um, uh, a player named Richard donated a couple of other uh, small prizes that I was able to give out on the day. But look, I'm kind of, 
you know, change, changing my mind. No, that's the right thing. But I mean, people who know events I used to run, I did a lot of prize support. In fact, pretty much everyone walked away from an event with a prize. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's sustainable long term. Um, yeah. And as we as we're talking about, I mean, the good news is this is, we might talk about in a minute. The good news is the community is growing. There's more events happening, but the number of BA suppliers in Australia isn't growing particularly. Um, And we're all hitting up the same people. Um, And I just want to create a space for, I guess, events where, you know, we acknowledge winners and losers and all that sort of thing, but Mm -hmm. where we don't always expect there to be prizes given out at the end of the day, that people are just happy to show up, play, play a couple of games, get winners acknowledged and that sort of thing, but not expect, to walk away with prizes and that's not every event i don't you know definitely uh, it's great to have events with prize support but um i think we just need um to have space for that sort of thing as one um, long-time player but i know brian said to me he, he was a bit concerned that sort of emphasis on prizes was discouraging some people from holding events and mm-hmm. i just think there needs to be a bit of space for events where that isn't the focus yeah, Lee and I were talking about this not too long ago ourselves, and when we were talking about it, it was more from the standpoint of the problem is with a lot of the stores and event spaces that we had traditionally used for bolt-action events disappearing. We are now relying on other venues like bowling clubs or um there's even brew pubs being used, uh, or in some cases, even breweries, um, for some reason, uh, I guess beer and wargaming go together, but those venues are a lot more expensive than ones that we've used traditionally in the past. And what that means for prize support is there's a lot less money going into the pool to buy these things, um, that we can hand out at events. And it also means that the cost of events is unfortunately going to go up, um, which, you know, is never anything that a TO wants because I, every event I've ever run and I know I'm not alone has been in the red. I, I don't make a profit on anything. In fact, I don't know any TO that does. Um, we don't do it to make money. We do it for, I guess, the love of the game and just wanting to give people an opportunity to play. And so I think that we as a bolt action community need to start, as you were saying, take a big step back from expecting prizes at events, because I think in the nicest way possible, and look, I love it. I love giving out prizes. I I love being Santa, making sure that everyone walks out with more prize, more in prizes than they paid to get into an event. But unfortunately, given where the world's at at the moment, I think that is unfortunately coming to an end. Um, Pete, would you agree with that? Have I been rambling? No, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and uh, We're on the same page. And I just think that we just need to be more judicious. Um, I think that there's going to be big events. But when you and I, you know, run smaller events, that's about, you know, getting people in, just trying out the game, having a bit of fun. I think that it's probably not realistic moving forward to expect that we're going to be getting much prize support with for that. And as you say, look, none of us do this to make money. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, do what as a TO needs to be done to make sure that there's certainly trophies and other things mm-hmm. so that anyone can come along. Um, doesn't matter 
you know, and we can provide armies as well. I mean, you know, I don't want to try and sound too sappy or anything, but, I'd, you know, if anyone wants to play, no matter um, whether they can afford to build their own army or not, I want them to be able to play. And I don't want the uh, prize, whether it's expressed in terms of um, the entry fee or whether it's as the, you know, people we have to hit up for prizes, I don't want that to become a barrier to people playing uh, bolt action. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Well, Pete, it sounds like WinterCon 2022 was an unmitigated success. I mean, from what I've heard from players, from what I've heard from you, and from what I've seen in the pictures, it looked like a fantastic event. It looked like a lot of people were having fun. As you said, in the morning, it did look like people were a little chilly, but then by the uh, later in the day, it looked like things were, you know, ticking along beautifully. Does this mean we'll see? What, what's it that you see at the end of every James Bond movie? Pete West will return. <laughs> Look, I think you should be looking out for me at the next WinterCon. I'm yes. lending, I'm lending Hari and Tristan a bit of a hand with CanCon, but um, I, all things being equal, I did enjoy myself. It was good being back, and I think I can certainly handle one event a year. And I'd like to get winter, build WinterCon back up again, um, and just, uh, I think that be good, good to do that as a sort of focus of my bolt action energies. Well, I'm going to definitely try not to be overseas next year during WinterCon. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been there with bells on, brother, and you know it. Oh, I'm excited to hear that, Pete. That that it warms my heart. And uh, I hope that we can get you down for a Melbourne event. In fact, we might be getting a little Pete and a little something, but we're not talking <laughs> about that publicly yet. Uh, spoilers, there's something cool coming up the pipe. Anyway. Pete, let's shift gears and talk about bolt action in general. You and I have spent a lot of time looking at where the game is at the moment, thinking about the global states. Um, uh, there's a lot of people, We for years we heard people talking about um, how bloated the game was, how outdated certain things were, about how there needed to be a new edition, this, that, and the other thing. And then we had this, we had mass exoduses of old players. We've seen older players come back. There's just a lot going on. So let's talk about where things are today. July 21st, the time of this going out, 2022, bolt action. How are we going? Pete, what do you think? I think we're doing pretty well i think we're on a bounce back at the moment or an upswing however you want to express it but um as far as i can see things are heading into the sunny uplands for bolt action at the moment um i was really struck at wintercon um by how easy bolt action is to pick up and teach somebody and as i said i had my son play um, because i needed to get back to toing and before going into the event he'd I'd played two games with him. Um, and so on the day I played the first game, he watched, I helped him with the second game and the last three games he just played by himself and he won two of them. Um, mm -hmm. So it, It's a, you know, uh, to be fair, uh, the other players were very helpful and uh, knew he was a new starter and were very mm -hmm. kind to him, but it really is a, a simple, clear game to pick up and play. I know this seems like a lot of rules bloat in because of all the books, but mm -hmm. there's lots of units in those books, lots of scenarios, but the core rules just don't change. Like 
they're fundamental mm-hmm. and they can be taught quite easily and quickly and people pick them up. And as I say, lots of new players, nobody felt out of their depth, I don't think, and very few questions, even though there were so many new players. So I think that's the real hidden strength of bolt action. And, you know, without knocking other rules, as people, as other rules continue to develop and bloat, I will say, um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think people come back to or find bolt action as something simple they can do and play uh, without too much burning too many brain cells. In recent, just again, talking about new players, uh, we have a whole new slow grow league that sprung up in the Southeast of Melbourne with a bunch of people I've never even heard of. And I was super excited to join in. Unfortunately, I was in the United States, but I'm hoping that some of those guys will join us for uh, jump to action or operation bear and we just start linking these groups of people who are playing bolt action with so many people getting into the game and getting interested in the game uh, i think it's just really crucial that we you know are inclusive to make sure that everyone feels welcome in our new in our community that so it keeps refreshing and being interesting and not just you know the same old 10 dudes at every event right yeah, and I mean, I don't have empirical evidence, but I mean, listening to podcasts, I just hear about new bolt action events and new bolt action players. So in Australia, we seem to be growing Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia is now mm-hmm. very strong. Um, Victoria um, and Sydney, new people, new events, and um, listening to podcasts in the UK, like whole new areas of the UK are suddenly mm-hmm. picking up bolt action and new events. So I, you know, I, someone's probably crunched the numbers somewhere, but it certainly I get the impression that the game is not just growing, but actually in some ex, is some in some sort of growth spurt phase at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Pete, where do you think the game is as far as I, I'm going to bring up a, a a political topic, and let's talk about version three now alessio did come on the warlord cast in 2020 and said that version three was not in the cards warlord had not done had not um contracted him for it yet it was not happening now i don't know what's happened since then however you still hear it you hear people talking about it in stores you hear people talking about it on podcasts you see it you know being mentioned in facebook um, what do you think the version three changes are when you're like, huh? What? I mean, we're still in version two, but this conversation's been happening for three, four years. Where do you think we are as far as that arc goes? It not surprisingly was a topic of a fair bit of conversation over the weekend in Wintercon. Mm. I spoke to a number of people about this. Um, but look, maybe it's just the crowd I hang with, but uh, I think. The consensus at the moment, and certainly my personal view, is I don't want a version 3 right now. Um, I would much prefer a version 2.5 that just cleaned up, consolidated, and tweaked a few things. I mean, you know, you could earn a lot of bonus points by just, or at least satisfy people that something was happening by just changing the MMG rule in some way or another. (laughs) (laughs) Don't care how it works. Reduce the cost of LMG by 10. Just like there's a couple of small things you could do that actually have no real impact on the overall playability of the game. They just address issues which don't seem to die. 
Um, no, and people have been talking about since the game <laughs> game dropped in version one. Ooh, and, LMGs, half tracks. And if it doesn't fix the problem, at least I'll give them something new to talk about. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> Tiger fear. So I, I just, in, we're in this phase where things are going well, it's growing, it's expanding. I'm just not sure right now is a time to roll out version three. I think that, as I say, version 2.5, I think maybe some more new army books. I mean, they redid the German book, but no one else has been touched. Um, to bring in and consolidate some lists and stuff. So I've just, I've seen other games try and take this next step and the success rate in my experience has not been great. And in fact, there's been a couple of recent, even World War II related, one might say, um, missteps in this space. And yeah. as much as I you know, love Alessio and I'm sure he'll make good decisions, I just think... Uh, it's going well, and I'm conservative. If it ain't broke, don't fix it um, kind of attitude. Well, I mean, if if we got a version 3, you would assume. Well, I, you know, we shouldn't assume, because with version 2, we didn't get it. But I would assume that if we got to a version 3, we might see a repointing of some things in the game. I, I, I would assume... That would I, I sort of look at version two as an updated version one. I assume that version three we get something a little different. Now I don't, you know, that's not based on literally anything. So don't take me as gospel, please. But my concern with that would be, and this is the thing that what I'm most nervous about if we jumped to another big new edition we have so many options between all the books. We have so many options, even within the armies of books that we have for different national rules, for lots of different tanks and different units. Now I'm sure that whatever came later, we would get a lot of what we have now, but what we have at this moment, as I said, on you know July 21st, 2022, wow, we've got a lot of options to choose from to make thematic lists or you know make the most brutal list in the world i i'm, I'm not making uh, any statement about how you want to make your list at home but there there there's a lot of choice that we have as players to create our army list and i would hate to see that narrow does that make sense yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the attractors of the game at the moment is there is so many options. And not only is those options available in the rules, they're actually available in terms of minis and vehicles and people can field really interesting armies that they find interesting and attractive. So uh, I think certainly think that's one of the drivers why we are picking up new players at the moment because there is just so much variety and they can play any aspect of history, no matter what motivates them in terms of the World War II theatre, whether it's a family connection, whether it's a book they read. Like, you're not just limited to the same other five armies that you see at the club. And that I think that diversity is part of what's helping the community grow. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. And I think supporting that is something that you and I have talked about on this podcast a lot. And that is... There are so many manufacturers out there who are making different models to represent different troops and different vehicles across World War II, the interwar period, the post-war period. You can 
find models for things that we could only dream of two or three years ago. Um, and I think 3D, the, the advent of 3D printing really has added to that. Um, and I know this is something that you are very passionate about, Pete. Um, it's, it's just really, we are in a really exciting point in the game. Um, I have had a couple of people work on secret projects and look, I get it. I, I have had secret projects in the past, but they've wanted to show me like not to be public and like, Oh, look at what I'm doing, but I'm doing a little something, something. They wanted to show like, cool, look at this thing that I've 3d printed, um, that no one else has. And it is really kind of special that that exists at the moment that even for those little nooks and cranny vehicles, that you know we haven't seen or weapons um you know certain at guns in the german list or in the soviet list you can now get so you can field almost anything and looking at how many unit entries there are in bolt action that's saying something especially since you know you can get a unit in early war mid-war late war warm weather cold weather Swimming costumes, you can get almost anything. And it's really exciting. And it really does help people theme their lists uh, in a really exciting way, right? Yeah. And I think the other factor is linked to that is there's no gatekeeping of those forces. Like the, right. you know, Warlord has not tried to say you must use Warlord products. And so, you know, you go to an event, some vehicles may be printed, others may be bought from an obscure um, minimum manufacturer, others may be Warlord, but there's no, you're playing with the right arm and you're playing with the wrong army. Everyone feels free to rock up with whatever they've got. Some are rocking up with plastic kits in 148, some are rocking mm -hmm. up with resin vehicles, you know, so it, it, it's a real opportunity then. There are so many places and ways for someone to jump in and the other good thing is it's usually something local that you can hook into in terms of both minis manufacturers as well as the sort of obviously the gameplay itself definitely well pete i don't know if i have any other big thoughts about the future or the state of bolt action other than i think it's a pretty awesome time to be a bolt action player and i'll admit maybe in the last year or two I have hit points where I haven't been as excited about bolt action. Um, and I really focused in on my bizarro Japanese or not Japanese, uh, GI Joe bolt action projects. Um, sort of to keep my love of bolt action going while simultaneously sort of falling into, you know, some weird nostalgic, nostalgic loophole that I've, you know, can't seem to get my foot out of. However, mate, I, Went to the States, as I said, a couple weeks ago, and I brought a couple of army books uh, as far as armies of books, Soviets in particular, because um, obviously I knew I'd be doing the Soviet episode. Um, but I also had taken literally like 150 photos that were on my laptop of different pages from different armies of books because I knew I would be listing in my head throughout that trip. And I did which is something that I haven't done in a long, long time. And so I am personally excited for bolt action. I mean, you can, if you look at the episode list for cast ice over the last three years, you are seeing a big fat run of bolt action right now, boys and girls. Now, part of that is requests. Part of that is I'm super excited about it, but I think the number of requests is also indicative that people want more bolt action content. 
And there's a ton of bolt action podcasts out there. I'm not the only one, not by any stretch. And yes, there will be other games covered soon, boys and girls. Don't you worry. I got some good guests lined up. You'll see them soon. But it, I think I think it's a good time to be a bolt action player. In fact, I think it's a great time to be a bolt action player. And I know you agree, Pete. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I mean, I'm back to the days of wandering around with my work. My, my mind is not occupied by work. I'm listing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I painted one army this year, my Winter Romanians. Um, I'm painting 144 Japanese at the moment. Um, and I may even get a third army painted this year. That's how excited I am because uh, I want to have an, a different army for CanCon. So uh, I haven't been this excited in a long time. I'm really mm -hmm. loving bolt action at the moment. And my biggest problem is there's so many events on I can't possibly fit them all in exactly well i literally counted um, because i knew we'd be having this conversation i painted seven infantry models for bolt action in 2020 and 2021 i painted not including my gi joes and i painted two vehicles in 2020 and 2021 this year already I am three quarters of the way through an entire Marine army, and I am about two thirds of the way through a much more detailed, thorough painting of a new Soviet army. If I paint both of those, I will be well over my goal of painting 100 new models this year, and almost all of them are bolt action. So I'm really excited about bolt action as a game and getting some new armies on the tabletop. And yeah, I think that's it. But Pete, let's let's jump off. Why are you painting 10,000 Japanese soldiers? <laughs> Other than the fact that Japanese are cool and you should you should definitely play them. Well, I do not have a Japanese army. Um, but uh, I think as was last time I was on, um, we were talking about the fact that there uh, was an event coming up called um, ForthCon here in Canberra. Very unfortunately, that event had to be cancelled. But um, I'm keeping the faith i'm continuing the painting project and you may see them at moab now um so i'm just working out what i'll be taking to moab but uh look yeah, I, I i need an excuse to paint um and mm -hmm. particularly 144 japanese um so uh but look i'm making progress uh i'm the faces that done the skins done the boots are done the uh leggings are almost done um mm -hmm. And so, you know, in six months' time, they'll probably be finished. <laughs> well, you know how much I enjoy painting gators. They're my favorite thing in the world. But uh, a little throwback to old school bolt action podcasting there. But uh, let's talk about Moab because you're talking about taking these. Now, clearly, you mentioned you were painting 144 SNLIF. Uh, sorry, SNLF. Yeah. Um, Special Naval Landing Force. Thank you. Uh, troopers. But you're not going to, even at inexperienced, you're not going to cram 144 of those guys. And they don't come in inexperienced, I might add, in 900 points, which is what Moab is this year. So what are your thoughts about Moab? Do you have some sort of secret list that you're not sure about you're sharing? Or are you like me and are drowning in a, in a giant ocean of indecision? Well, yeah, I'm drowning. The, the second of those options, no, the... um. I mean, the Japanese I started painting, so they're the obvious first choice. Although I do have a backup secret plan that's a sort of test for potentially CanCon if I can get the figures and painted in time. Um, but look, two things. One, 
I had the Japanese, so I had to paint them. And when I started an army, there's nothing worse than I hate having unpainted figures left over. So I paint everything I have, regardless of whether I think I'm actually going to need them or not. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm quite deep into Marines in general. So US Marines, Soviet, Naval Infantry. Um, yeah. So I've done quite a bit of historical reading on the SNLF and let me tell you, there are a lot of really, really crap SNLF. So I have no compunction about running some of these guys as um, inexperienced. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'll fit 144 in, but I think you will be seeing some inexperienced squads of SNLF. Yeah, I I have two Japanese armies and I keep thinking I would really like to paint up the paratrooper army that I have kicking around the Japanese uh, paratroopers. But yeah, that might, you know, that may be a bridge too far this year with the, with my Soviet naval troops and with my Marines, which I guess are more naval troops. I'm also doing this, Pete. How did that happen? <laughs> Obviously been hanging around with me for too long. Uh, Pete, I take that as the highest form of compliment ever. <laughs> well, let's, let's jump off then because I know we've been going for over an hour and we're we're well into things, but I want to talk to you about another game that we've talked about previously. Now, I have not had a chance to play this uh, because I've been trying to focus in on Bolt Action and Marvel and a bunch of the other games that I've been playing. But I love the look of Silver Bayonet. Now, you have had a chance to actually play some games now. Um, now, this is a Joe McCullough game. But unlike other Joseph McCullough games, this one doesn't use a D20. This one uses modified D10s. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you found this game? Because, man, so this is Napoleonic horror. And so you get to paint some Napoleonic uh, miniatures, but it's a skirmish game. So you only got about, what, I I, I don't even know, like 8 to 12 dudes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, plus some monsters and griblies and other fun things. And I love playing Stargrave. Talk to us a little bit about this game because it looks really good. Yeah, we had a great event here in Canberra for Waterloo Day. Um, so a number of serious um, uh, Napoleonic players got together and played some very big battle Waterloo games and they let me crash the event and play some um, silver bayonet off in the corner and embarrass them all. But uh, look, <laughs> we attracted a lot of interest, I think. A lot of people came by to have a look at what, what we were doing. Um, and look, it was really fun. Um, I think I've now played four games in total, so not a huge amount. But as someone who's played a bit of Stargrave now, probably two dozen games, um, I really enjoyed the way Silver Bayonet worked. So instead of, as you said, a D20, you have two D10s. Um, it just feels a little less swingy by the 2 D10 dice system. But mm-hmm. I think the really brilliant um, change that he made for this game is that you have a bonus dice mechanic, that you get these bonus dice that you can sub in for one of your other dice or you to re-roll your dice. So mm-hmm. if something does seem really swingy, uh, you can choose to pick up one of those bonus dice and there's a whole different ways they're divided up and how you use them and that sort of thing but there's a mechanism there basically that if you feel the result was really swingy you can have another go at it and that i think 
if you still fail at that point, the dice gods were against you. It's there's nothing you were going to do whether you're rolling a d20 or a d10. Um, so I found that really great, and I found it to be a really fun system overall. And the games play quick. There was no major issues in terms of any complexity, and um, we had a lot of fun. Nice. Now I I do have a couple of questions. When I was reading through the rules, and I have not played this, it seems like maybe unlike Stargrave, it it seemed to be a little bit more random as far as what the scenario is, what you encounter on the tabletop, and what monsters, what griblies appear. Um, am I misreading this? Because when I was, I mean, one of the things I love about Stargrave is all the different scenarios, and you can set them in different places, but the the way that you play those out is very role-playing-esque. It's a lot of fun, and I just got the, the newest Stargrave book, the Prospector campaign book, and it's got God, nine, ten scenarios in it. It's got new character classes, it's got new gear. It's it's great. But when I was reading through uh Silver Bayonet, it seemed less scenario driven and more card driven. Am I did I understand that right? Uh yes ish is how I'd answer that, but not very helpful. Okay. Um the scenarios I found were more structured in the sense that he seemed to give more detail of how each scenario was going to be set up and how it would be run. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the sort of randomness, the monster generation, I think it's sort of about the same as Stargrave ultimately. Okay. Um, but I would like to see a scenario book with maybe a couple of other nations come out because I think the the original 12 scenarios, while good, some of them are going to be a bit hard to set up because they're very specific and they seem to play out because of that in a, a relatively specific kind of way. So, mm. uh, and look, there's, don't get me wrong. There's a system for generating your own scenarios in there. So um, I'm not, you, you know, you can go out and um, build whatever you like, but uh, if you're just picking up and playing, I found the, the scenarios to be quite specific in how he's drawn them, which um, still was a fun game, as I say, but, uh, I'm not sure how much long-term replayability those book scenarios have got. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now, did you find that the... Unlike in Stargrave, where you have one captain and you have a first mate, and then you have some basically glorified lackeys running around with them, there is more character development in the lackeys in this game Whereas there there are fewer models on the board, but they have more to them. Uh, I think that because of it, it's not you can't shoot shoot shoot, which is in this game you've got to shoot reload, which may sound like a small difference, but it does drive the way the game plays slightly differently. So your characters are not just moving around to shoot, um, mm. and there's you know a magic system as well. Um, so it's I think the characters, I guess, are a bit more present in the game, if I can say. They, they feel a bit more present. They're not so generic, mm. just a crewman who's going through the alley, through the corridors, gunning at things. Mm-hmm. They have different roles, and you need to use them in those roles. So they feel, I guess, a bit more fleshed out than perhaps um, some of the Stargrave crews sometimes do, would be mm. my sense of it. Nice. 
Yeah, I, I saw that Stargrave is about to come out with not about it's it's months away, but um, there's going to be a set of mission cards um, where you flip it and it'll give you uh, you know your board setup. You'll flip another card; it'll give you what you're trying to achieve. You'll flip another card; it might give you the villains that you're facing. Um, much like I guess some of the uh, solo rules that were put out as far as the bounty hunting, the free bounty hunting uh, expansion to Stargrave, um, which I think is really cool. And I hope they do something like that for Silver Bayonet. Now, there are solo rules built into Silver Bayonet, right? Silver Bayonet is the first Joseph McCullough game that has, it was designed with solo play in mind. Do you think this is a good solo game? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the despite the changes we've talked about, I mean, the, core game is still the same as his other Frostgrave, Stargrave mm. creations and in that sense as the, the mechanisms work quite well for Solo and I think the I think the scenarios also um, perhaps I don't know maybe it's my view but the Napoleonic era I think lends itself maybe a little more to the Solo in the sense that the horror the Napoleonic you've got to set there's sort of these stories that come with a horror game I guess that mm play out and uh, some quite traditional like dracula frankenstein all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. so i find that lends itself to solo play um, in the sense that you've got a very deep sense of the game that you're playing by yourself you don't need another player to have to generate that story um, and it's not a generic type story because you you have some idea of what a werewolf is what a monster mm -hmm. is, as opposed to maybe what some of these space scenarios are um but look, I, Joseph McCullough's system works really well as a solo game. Um, I haven't actually run through the uh, Silver Bayonet scenarios, so I think what we found with his solo Stargrave was the balance was a bit tricky in terms of the number of um, enemies that he threw at you um, mm -hmm. and how hard that was. And so I noticed the, I'm trying to remember, but there's quite a large number of wolves that come at you in one scenario, so I'm given that you can't shoot, 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 you have to reload. I'll be interested mm -hmm. to see how that works. Um, but look, just from a thematic point of view and from a mechanism point of view, yeah, this game would work great for Solo. Nice. Well, if I may jump ship slightly to another horror game that I'm super excited about, and it's not horror per se, uh, but it is be because the game itself is the ultimate sandbox game. Of course, I'm talking about 7TV the game that allows you to turn literally any intellectual property into an episode of a television show or into the plot of a movie. Literally that. I love it. It's fantastic. I have not covered this on the show. I'm going to have to have Carl on from Crooked Dice to talk about these new, new expansions. He did the, oh, the, the Sky Pirates expansion to 7TV, which is nod nod wink wink flash gordon um my kickstarter is i can't wait for it to show up i never back a kickstarter but because it's crooked dice because it's flash gordon you know i got that one so i'm hoping that one arrives soon but they outside of their kickstarter activities they've put out another whole scenario pack with a, a whole big batch of miniatures um, which is the update of their old Vlad's army, their weird war 
expansion for seven TV where you have Nazi vampires and, you know, zombie Germans shambling about. And on the other side, you have them fighting the plucky British home guard, man. I'm so keen for that. I haven't ordered it yet because I was traveling and I wasn't sure when it would arrive. I'm definitely picking that up in the next week or two. But what I'm most excited about is Halloween 2022, baby. Uh, we are getting seven TV Dracula, the Bram Stoker classic. We're going to get a whole expansion to seven TV for that game. Oh, hold my pearls. I'm, I'm excited. I'm feeling it in my waters. I'm so, I'm so excited for this expansion. Um, reading Dracula was one of my favorite books as a teenager. And as a kid, I read it again and again and again. My wife and I listened to the audiobook throughout 2020 during one of the lockdowns. And Seven TV is just such a great game. To be able to have that in there, mm, excited. Pete, are you as excited about this as I am, or am I just a little bit strange? <laughs> well, you're a little bit strange, Brad, but I don't hold it against you. Um, but <laughs> but uh, look, I, I love the idea of Dracula, but look, for for the love of God, please get on and make seven TV eighties. I'm dying right? for that game. <laughs> oh, mate. Okay. Yes. Uh, I will have all of the models I need for that game when it comes out. Cause I have all my GI Joes. I have all my Cobras. I have um, appropriately scaled in both the comic book scale and the cartoon scale transformers for that so I can run them as either the massive huge ones or the reasonably sized ones compared to other things. I have recently got the Crooked Dice Thundercats. I got the Crooked Dice A-Team. I got the Crooked Dice. Obviously, I already have the visitors because we've shown that on the on the YouTube channel before. But I also got the resistance from V um, from them. I'm running out of 80s things to get. Um, I don't have the Michael Knight yet. I did get the 18 van. Oh, I got the Ghostbusters. So I think I need to get Ecto-1, Michael Knight, and Kit. And then I'm going to be sorted. Because I also, I just as I just said, I have the Flash Gordon models coming. I think I need to have like an 80s painting marathon and just crank yeah. through these models because they look good. Um, our buddy Ian uh, in the UK from the Odd Sided Dice podcast. God, man, he's been painting up. His A-team are glorious. The other mini I picked up with the KS order happened to relate to a certain robot-related cop movie that uh, I'm very interested in playing. Oh, tell oh the um the giant the oh Ed Ed two oh nine. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yes, that is very cool. Well, I know that they're also I know seven TV eighties is coming, but I think in the interim, look. I'll let Carl talk about it. There may be a couple of other fun things coming in the path before we get the box that you and I are, would kill for. But um, soon, soon. Uh, but on that note, I think when we start trying to not talk about things we're not supposed to, it may be time to call it a day. Pete, is there anything else uh, in the gaming world that get, is getting you hot and bothered? Or uh, is it time to call it a night? Look, it's time to call it a night before I start talking about my longing desire for zero two hundred hours. <laughs> right? Oh. And they just came out with um, what was it? A list of 
a, a whole bunch of new units yeah. from different nations. Oh, that is going to look so good. Uh, if you have not listened to the Cast Dice episode where I talked to Graham, the author of O200 Hours, you, sh- you owe yourself. You should go back and listen. He's a great guest. It was a great interview, and I cannot wait for that game as well. Oh, Pete, oh, maybe I should mention something. So while I was traveling, I did pick up a couple of things. And one of the things I got was the Masters of the Universe miniature game. So the Masters of the Universe Battleground game. Cannot wait to play that. Uh, I think Albert and I will be playing that very shortly. But I also got, and Pete, this is directly at you, buddy. I got Car Wars. (laughs) Car Wars version six is in my grubby little paws. And I've opened it and then closed it again because I need to get through the projects I have in front of me. And there's a number of games I want to talk about, but coming soon, I'm going to go back to my first true love and we are going to talk car wars. Oh, cause it looks I good. Look, I look forward to hearing about that, Brad. Do you think there's a danger? We might be getting old. Oh. <laughs> there's a reason they call me old man more. And now with this uh, camera, you can see the gray in the beard anyway, cause I don't have gray hair up top kids. <laughs> So I don't have any hair up top. But on that note, I think it's time. Uh, Pete, again, thank you for coming on, brother. It is always a pleasure to have you on. And thank you for helping me test the new system for today. It is awesome to have you on, man. Cheers. It was a lot of fun, as always. Thank you, Brad. Oh, thank you. And guys, thank you at home. Uh, Again, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen today. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, Um, Look, I don't ask often, but if you have the time uh, and the inkling, if you wouldn't mind going on to the Apple app for podcasts and writing a review for this show, preferably one with five stars, um, I'm blown away with the feedback that people have put on for this show uh, in the past, and I'm incredibly humbled by it, but every time one of those reviews is written, it Uh, It helps people find the show in the future. And uh, we really do appreciate that. Um, In addition, uh, as I said, starting next week, you will start seeing these episodes on YouTube as well as on your usual podcatcher. If you are interested in checking us out, I know that I've had a few people say that, can I put it on YouTube so they can watch me at work? Uh, I don't know if I'd want to listen to me at work, but if you want to, hey, you can just uh, find us under Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. The channel does exist. Um, we just won't start putting episodes up until pretty much the end of July, beginning of August. But as these episodes go out onto Podcatcher in the future, they will also be going up on YouTube. There may be an hour lag depending on which one uploads first. There are significant timing delays there from just to pull back the curtain. Um, However, we'll see. This is the grand experiment. I hope that I haven't announced everything and then have it not work, but things seem to be working. So I'm very excited. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you have any ideas for the show, please message the page, Facebook, Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. 
But when I start losing track of what I'm saying uh, and I'm stumbling for words, it is definitely time to go with what our buddy Casey always says when you are playing the games that we know and love. I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Thank you.